Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode four of Deadly Ever After, the podcast where we examine um, people who kill their spouses and why. How did they go from happily ever after to life in prison? Deadly ever after. Deadly ever after. Thank you, Harry. Yes. Today's episode um, is a case that I was familiar with as a child. It was on the news in the background of my home um, growing up, but I honestly, I had to do quite a bit of research because I couldn't remember any of the specifics. Yeah. And today's podcast is going to be part one of a two-part series because it's so long. Yeah. And I just, I hope you enjoy it because like I said, I worked really hard on it. Um, I tried to get as much detail as I could. So Harry, are you ready? I'm ready. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this two-parter. I think it's going to be, are we going to do something like leave the audience on a cliffhanger? That would be good. You think, well, I mean, I wasn't, I was going to try to break it off at a point where it's like satisfying, but still you want to know more kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely. Like the, um, like how Avatar ends. Um, for example, I was just watching Avatar the other day, so it's fresh in my mind. So, anyway, um, you weren't you weren't watching it on the TV. Where'd you watch it? Uh, just on my phone. That must have been. Could you even see anything that was happening? Well, yeah, it um, wasn't best way to watch it, but um, anyway, today's episode is the very drawn out saga of Christian Longo. On the evening of February 20th, 2002, Michael Finkel was sitting in his home in Bozeman, Montana, despondent. The 33-year-old journalist had just been fired from the New York Times for falsifying facts in a recent story involving child slavery at cocoa plantations on Africa's Ivory Coast. Specifically, Finkel had taken information he collected from interviews and plantation visits during a multi-week trip to Mali and wrote an article from the point of view of a fictitious African teenage plantation worker that he had invented. He gave his narrator the name of a real boy he had interviewed and submitted a photograph of a different boy to run alongside the article. All of this was presented as nonfiction. Finkel was swiftly caught, exposed, and fired. The New York Times was releasing an editor's note the following day explaining the fraudulent article, and Michael Finkel was preparing for the worst. Suddenly, his cell phone rang. A man said he was a reporter calling from the Oregonian, and he wanted to interview Michael Finkel. Finkel couldn't believe it. He thought he had a few more hours until the story broke and his public humiliation would begin. He told the reporter he was too late, that the story was going to be published the following morning. The reporter was confused. He said he was still writing the story. Michael Finkel asked him what he was talking about. The Oregonian reporter said he was calling about the murders. What murders? Are you serious? We talked about this. I'm building a story. I'm building suspense. Literally, all you have to do is just be quiet and listen, and you, your answers will be, your questions will be answered. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try to be a bit more patient. Okay. Sorry, listeners. Thank you so much. Almost two months earlier to the day, the body of a four-year-old boy was found on December 19th, 2001, near the town of Waldport, Oregon. He was floating face down in a muddy pond, wearing nothing but a pair of underwear. 
the medical examiner didn't find any signs of injury and determined the boy hadn't been dead very long, a day or two at the most. Police hadn't received a missing persons report. Every school and daycare center in the area were contacted and any children who were absent were located. Police posted flyers with a photo of the child's face on it around town, but no identifications came in. The pond where the boy had been found was bisected by a bridge, and police wondered if the boy's family's car had crashed and if the rest of the family were also underwater somewhere, mm. even though there weren't any skid marks on the road or any evidence of oil in the water. Three days later, the police sent divers back into the pond, which was called Lint Slow, and they found a pillowcase with a large rock inside it. Divers kept searching, and eventually they found the body of a three-year-old girl. Like the boy, she appeared not to have any injuries and was only wearing a pair of underwear. Tied to her ankle was a pillowcase with a large rock inside. The rock mm. had been weighing her body down so it wouldn't be found. The emergence of a second body triggered the most extensive investigation in the county's history. Every child registered in Waldport, Oregon census was checked on. The FBI cross-referenced the two corpses with National Missing Children's databases. It was becoming more and more evident to police that this was a homicide. A few days later, a woman named Denise Thompson came forward to police and identified the children as Zachary and Sadie Longo. She said she was their babysitter and she had last seen them on December 15th, only a few days before their bodies were discovered. Denise Thompson also said she had just had lunch with the children's father, Christian Longo, on December 19th, the day Zachary's body was found. Dining at the Fred Meyer where they both worked, Christian told Denise that his wife, Mary Jane, had left him for another man, taken his children with her, and moved to Michigan. On December 26, police searched the Longo's rental condo in Newport, Oregon. The family was new to town. They had moved to Oregon from Ohio three months earlier. It was obvious to police that someone had left the condo in a hurry. None of the family's personal belongings were there. The TV and the microwave were missing, and the landlord said they hadn't informed him they were leaving, and the rent hadn't been paid. On December 27th, police had divers search the water surrounding the Longo's condo. Underneath a dock, divers unearthed two large dark green suitcases. Unzipping them, police revealed the naked body of Mary Jane Longo, curled into the fetal position. The couple's two-year-old daughter, Madison, was found stuffed inside the second suitcase. The medical examiner determined the causes of death to be head trauma and strangulation. Within a week, police had found every member of the Longo family, except Chris. On December 27, 2001, Christian Longo flew to Cancun, Mexico. He had less than $200 in his wallet. He checked into a hostel and bought a newspaper. Lying on the beach reading, he suddenly knew how he would avoid detection during his trip. He would impersonate his favorite writer, the author of many New York Times articles Longo had read and enjoyed. For the next four days, he met and partied alongside unsuspecting tourists. He introduced himself as Michael Finkel. But soon, Christian Longo grew restless with the endless cycles of drinking and beaching during his second week in Mexico. He soon met a German tourist named Yanina Frank. He was intrigued by her because she hadn't traveled to Mexico to party. As an aspiring travel photojournalist, she had come to explore and photograph the nearby Mayan ruins. Longo immediately launched into his fake backstory as a journalist and hinted that he could use his connections to help her career. Mutually frustrated with Cancun, the day after they met, the pair traveled by bus further south to Tulum. During their bus ride, they discussed collaborating on potential articles. They also discussed their personal lives. 
Christian Longo breezily told Yanina that he had been married, but was now divorced and didn't have any children. They arrived in Tulum. Which was a lie. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Obviously. They arrived in Tulum and shared a cabana with a single bed, and soon they began sleeping together. They took day trips, but once again, Christian Longo grew restless. On January 13th, Christian and Yanina spent the day snorkeling and then attended a party in a neighboring cabana. They played music, drank beer, and smoked weed. Then, in the middle of the night, six armed men kicked the door down and burst inside, handcuffing everyone. They studied the faces of everyone in the cabana. Once they reached Christian Longo, two men escorted him outside. The FBI had just captured him after three weeks on the run. Christian Longo. What? Good. Yeah. Yep. It is good. I mean, they could have done it quicker, but I guess three weeks is better than no weeks. And in episode two, we'll find out how the FBI were able to capture uh, and arrest Christian Longo. Um, thanks for listening. Oh, Harry, what? What are you doing? We're not, I thought we were doing the um, the end, the closer for episode that would, one. That would be such a shitty place to cut it off. Are you serious? Ah, uh, sorry. We should have. I should have checked before we Thank started. Yes, I I have it. I got it. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I got you back though. I really appreciate that. Thanks. Christian Longo was extradited back to Newport, Oregon, and held in the Lincoln County Jail. He was questioned extensively by the FBI for hours on end, but ultimately, he refused to confess to his crimes. On March 6, 2002, Michael Finkel, having been filled in on the Longo case by the Oregonian reporter, mailed a letter to Christian in prison, requesting to speak with him. On April 9th, Christian Longo called him from jail. Michael Finkel was careful not to accuse or assume that Christian Longo murdered his family. Longo confessed that he was a big fan of Michael Finkel's work, and after several minutes, they hung up. This was the beginning of a strange relationship. Michael Finkel drove across several states to visit Christian Longo in jail in Oregon. After their visit, Christian Longo mailed him a 78-page letter in which he described the details of the last several months of his life prior to getting arrested. The two began exchanging letters back and forth, and after several weeks, Longo's correspondence with Michael Finkel had evolved into a weekly phone conversation, in addition to their frequent letter writing. Finkel had broached the subject of Longo's crimes in a letter, but Christian denied any involvement, writing, quote, I didn't commit the act. The whole incident is my fault, but only for not being home to protect them. Chris Longo was beginning to get defensive as the media ramped up its reporting on him, many articles not bothering to describe him as an accused or an alleged murderer, effectively having already cast their judgment on him. In a letter, Christian Longo explained that if only Michael Finkel knew the history of he and his wife, in addition to the lifestyle stressors and plain bad luck he had endured, any doubts that Michael Finkel had that Longo was guilty would be put to rest. And it is at this point that he began telling his life story to Michael Finkel. And it is at this point that we would like to wrap up episode one. No, no, no. Christian Longo was born in Ypsilanti, Michigan and raised in the Jehovah's Witness Church by his mother and stepfather. When Christian was a teenager, his parents went on a week-long vacation and hired a local girl they knew from church to house it for them. Her name was Mary Jane Baker. While their parents were away, Christian and his younger brother, Dustin, stayed at friends' houses nearby. 
but Chris rode his bike to the house almost every day to spend time with Mary Jane. Christian was obsessed with her, but figured that their age gap, she was seven years older than he, and the fact that she had a boyfriend meant that they would never be more than friends. Still, they grew closer as they spent more time together. They went on a couple of church skiing trips and Christian signed up to do weekend service in order to spend time with Mary Jane. And weekend service basically meant that they like knocked on people's doors and tried to spread the gospel of the Jehovah's Witness Church. After several months, Mary Jane let it slip. How, how old was he at this point? I think he's, um, I think I, I already said that, but maybe he's 17. I'm going to get into it. It's, I have it in here. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Maybe he's 16 at this point. After several months, Mary Jane let it slip that she and her boyfriend had broken up. Eventually, she and Christian admitted they had feelings for one another. They immediately discussed getting married. When Christian broached this topic with his parents, they did not approve, saying things were moving too quickly and that Christian was far too young to get married. But Christian would not relent. His mother eventually gave him an ultimatum, drop the notion of marrying MJ or move out of her house. Christian, of course, picked Mary Jane over his family. He would later say that this was the only issue he'd ever had with his otherwise loving parents. Their relationship never recovered from this either. Mary Jane's family didn't seem to mind the marriage. They were less well-off than Christian's family, and they kind of expected her to be self-sufficient at her age anyway. At the age of 17, Christian moved into a cheap apartment with two other guys and started working at a camera supply store. His financial troubles soon began. He bought a diamond engagement ring for MJ on credit at a local jewelry store, and his car broke down in the same week. These expenses, coupled with the rent, were more than he could afford. He forewent the rent and chose to make a payment on MJ's ring instead. Mary Jane was 24 at the time, and she was working as a receptionist at the University of Michigan Dental School, and she made even less than Christian did. But despite that, uh, the pair got married in 1993 and moved into a smaller, cheaper apartment together. Shortly after the wedding, MJ gave birth to their first child, a boy named Zachary. Christian quit the camera store and was working for a newspaper distribution company by this time. He described himself as a quote-unquote glorified paperboy to Michael Finkel during one of their conversations. This job afforded Longo a good salary, but he soon began overspending, buying himself a pool table, a new car, and designer suits for every day of the week. They moved out of their dingy apartment and bought a three-bedroom house. In hindsight, they should have done what we did and downsized a little bit. Well, I mean, we had to downsize because we did the same, you know. I also had a husband who overspent more than what he made even though he did technically have a, I mean, I think Christian Longo probably made more than what you made because um, he was in sales and teachers uh, get a commission. I mean, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying like you, mm. your salary is fixed. Whereas like a sales position, you know, the harder you work, the more money you make. Right. So that's, yeah. 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 But you know, if I can get a, if I can get work in a, you know, private school someday that, you know, that's like, that's like me making a big sale kind of. I know, but there's only a couple of private schools in our district and we, we've already talked about this. They're, they're not interested. Yeah, right now. Yeah. There might be, oh, it's not that they're not interested. There's not many opportunities. Well, right. Nobody um, that school. So it's no. like, what are you going to get hired there by the time you're 50? They're not going to hire you. Hang on. But look, we're, we're like, the whole point is that we downsize because we, we were being excessive. Um, we, well, one of us was being excessive. Well, I, I don't know. I think it, 
it takes two to tango, you know, like, yeah, sure. I get a 60 inch TV um, and you, you don't say anything at the time you're enjoying, you're enjoying, we're enjoying, we're enjoying uh, we, watching. We, enjoy it. we both enjoyed it. Yeah, we enjoyed it. But then we realized, you know what? Um, we've got our phones and we've got a Samsung tablet to watch. Well, I have the iPad that my mom bought me for Christmas. And we were able to downsize and then we could, we use the money to cover our rent, you know? Mortga well, mortgage. You need to stop calling it rent. That's half the problem. We're not renting. We were locked into this place. Well, yeah, I, yeah. True, true. It is our place, but I mean, I guess because, because you know, your dad has that stake in it. I feel like we're just renting sometimes, you know. I I told you you need to get comfortable with that. You're he, you should call him dad. He loves you. He wouldn't have lent us the money if he didn't think of you as a son. So, do you think he'll listen to this? Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't he listen to this? Okay. Everyone's gonna listen to okay. this. You better. Oh, sure. Okay. Are you gonna tell like your coworkers? I I can't just be the only one sharing it on my on my like Instagram. It's gonna look sad. Yeah, right. Well, you have a bigger reach than me. Um, I do. But... I mean, you have some like weird factions that I'm. You know, like your friends. They don't follow me. Like you know. Hmm. Yeah, they're busy. Well, you know, there are a lot of outdoors types. Like you know, you can listen to a podcast while you're outdoors. Yeah, true. But they're not. They're not like big on social media you know that are you harry are you really going to help me promote this oh yeah no i will i will yeah i'm putting in all this work and it's not going to be worth it if nobody even fucking listens to this true true no no i will i will promote it but yeah i, I don't know if um I just don't, you know you're more you've got more followers than i do um and you know and and uh you know if your dad is watching yeah and hey dad um don't worry about what i said earlier it's uh you know i'm looking forward to seeing you again soon that was so awkward. Why did you say that? No, because you're you're right. I don't, you know. I'm gonna I don't. Cut. I don't call him dad enough. Um, so. I know, but that sounded really forced and weird. Like, you know, you don't have to like dad yeah. be like, "Hey, dad, thanks, dad. You're my dad." Like, that's weird. Yeah. True. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should just go back to calling him Terry. Maybe. Dad Terry, maybe. Combine them both. That's how maybe that's how I work my way up to dad. Daddy Terry. Dad Terry. In nineteen ninety seven. Daddy Terry? Would he like that? In nineteen ninety seven, Mary Jane found herself pregnant again and dropped out of the workforce permanently. In nineteen ninety eight, their second child was born, a girl named Sadie. By the age of 23, Christian Longo had a wife, two children, and a mortgage to support, all on a single salary. But he wasn't worried. He had been promoted several times and was making great money. The only catch was that he had to travel three to four days every week. As soon as his daughter was born, Christian was away on business for two straight weeks, leaving Mary Jane alone with their toddler son and a newborn baby. Oh my God, if you did that to me, I would be so fucking mad at you. Oh, I won't. You won't? Well, it's, I mean too late now but this proved to be too great a strain for them so christian quit his job he got a new job selling fireplaces and he had to take a pay cut but he was happy to be able to be home every night with his family two years later mj was pregnant again 
she gave birth to a second daughter, Madison, who was born with medical problems that their insurance didn't cover. So medical bills began piling up. This coupled with the fact that Christian hadn't adjusted his spending habits plunged the couple into debt. They drained their savings accounts and maxed out all their credit cards. After a couple months, MJ's car got repossessed. Christian Longo started scheming of ways to make more money, but with only a high school education, his prospects were grim. Inspired to go into business with Joel Foster, a friend from church, and in January 2000, he launched Final Touch, a construction cleanup business. So basically, like because he was selling fireplaces to a lot of um, like contractors, yeah, Christian Longo realized that like once the contractors finished building a house, you know, there was like sawdust everywhere and there were fingerprints on the windows. And so his company was basically like putting a kind of a white glove service on these brand new houses that when realtors would show them, they would be like turnkey ready to move into. So that's what Final Touch does. It's like a lot of vacuuming and like, you know, scrubbing the bathroom and like this kind of thing. Final Touch was an immediate success and he was busier than he could have imagined. Christian never turned down a job and he hired staff. However, delays in billing led to a lack of cash flow. He needed to buy equipment and labor to fulfill current jobs, so he began buying things on credit. None of the company invoices were paid. Contractors kept him waiting for thousands of dollars in overdue invoices. But Christian was committed to keeping the business afloat, working day and night. He couldn't afford to fail, really, as he had already bragged to his parents and his congregation about how successful Final Touch was. Christian also conveniently failed to tell MJ about any of the company money troubles. For all she knew, the business was a success. But she also knew that her husband had a tendency to overspend. As soon as their third child was born, Longo had been promising MJ a new minivan to replace the one that had been repossessed. Ever since that happened, she'd been stuck at home with three children every day without any sort of transportation. you know for some people that that would be their dream with no car whose dream is that not mine not not yours obviously if i left with three toddlers they would eat you alive i'd be all right but it wouldn't be again not my dream but for some people you know if that that kind of rustic living is good if she ran out of diapers she would have no alternative she can't even go get paper towels toilet paper like she has no resources this is 2000 she can't get anything delivered they're in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Right. She can't walk anywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I was just, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, so life's so different now. Like, yeah, you know, you just nowadays we just, everything just Amazon Prime, you know? Yeah, you're really familiar with the one click shopping. We know. Yeah. It's convenient. Conveniently expensive. On February 16th, 2000, Christian Longo used office supplies at Final Touch to make a fake driver's license. He drove to a car dealership over the state line in Ohio and asked to test drive a brand new minivan. The salesperson agreed, asking him to leave his ID at the dealership as collateral. Chris Longo gave the salesperson his fake ID, drove the minivan off the lot and over state lines back to his home in Michigan. There, he presented the minivan. Now, that's, that's not legal. Like, I'm not, is it? You can't actually do that, right? No, that's incredibly illegal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. I was, that's what I thought. I was just double checking. Yeah. No, please don't do this. No. Harry. Yeah. Please. Of course not. No, no, no. I'm... Oh, wait, no. Well, no, I was just, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. This is also, wouldn't. again, 22 years ago. So you, first of all, you couldn't even do it. And you specifically would not 
could not pull this off. No. And in episode two, we'll work out, does Christian Longo pull off nope. the con of a century? Stop. Please stay. Letting me. Please fucking stop. Please. If you interrupt I'm again. Not, I'm not, I'm, well, sorry, I interrupted again. But I'm, aren't I going to do the, the closer for this episode then? Okay, Harry. Would, am I wrong about that? I will, I will wave at you when it's your turn to announce the break. Okay. 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 Sorry. Thank you. Thank There he presented the stolen car to Mary Jane as a seven-year anniversary present. MJ was delighted and nicknamed the car the witness wagon. She was skeptical, though. She could tell the car was too expensive for their budget and asked Christian how he paid for it. He simply told her it was on a payment plan. Christian experienced temporary relief from his cash flow woes. He convinced his father to invest $80,000 of savings into the business, which allowed Christian to maintain operations for a little while. But he was still stretched thin. Final Touch employed over 60 people, most of whom he knew from church, and his monthly payroll totaled $30,000. And that puts the final touch on episode one of this two-part series. Oh, Harry. Shut up! You, uh, I, I heard you. I, I, I saw. I saw your hand go up. I. Th- oh. Were you just scratching your head, or is that what? Why you shouldn't even be looking at me? You should be following along in the script, and then you'll stop interrupting me. Well. I even well, maybe if you didn't come down on me so hard when I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this. Po- I'm trying to. I'm trying to help you. Every other second. I'm confused at where I am in the story, and I wrote this. I've just all, all I can think of now is I've got to watch you all the time for when when you give me the signal that it's that's the end. So now now I'm not even listening to what we're talking about. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to wait for the signal for the end of episode one. Stop interrupting me, and you just just fucking bulldoze over. I've worked so hard on the script, Harry. I'm gonna cry. This you have. This script is like forty pages long. It's just like I I read books and articles. And you're ruining the flow, and I don't have enough energy to restart this to record the intro. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. It's okay. We'll we'll work it out. We'll work it out. Now let's. I'll try not to look. I'll try not to interrupt you because I know you have. You know, and listeners, she's been working really hard. So really, I hope you enjoy this episode. And you know, you and I and Liz, I know this means a lot to you because you know the. I hate when you put you- the Etsy stuff on hold. You oh, yeah. didn't take that. You know, temporary I hate when you hmm? Christian couldn't afford to pay them or to pay for equipment rentals. He dissolved the partnership between he and Joel Foster, making Christian the sole owner of the business. He often worked 16 to 18 hour days at the office, but despite this, he was essentially penniless. He hired an assistant named Jessica Meadows, who was the wife of another Final Touch employee. She was also a member of his church. They began spending lots of time together, and after several weeks, they eventually began an affair in late May. MJ found out about Christian's affair after noticing an uptick in spending in their joint checking accounts, which prompted her to go through Christian's email, where she found inappropriate exchanges between Meadows and her husband. The couple had a huge fight, and Christian felt deeply embarrassed by his wife after she had informed Meadows' husband of the affair, as well as Christian's parents, the church elders, and all of their mutual friends, which honestly is exactly what I would do to you, Harry. If you ever cheated on me, I would tell absolutely everyone. Mm. 
and I I would do the same thing. Good, we agree. So, yeah, I think it's the it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to speak with the other person at all. Just you know, let everyone know. Yeah, that's the way it should go. And MJ did. And after several long days and several even longer discussions, Mary Jane and Christian were able to reconcile their relationship. While he had righted his marriage, Final Touch continued to experience significant money troubles. Checks bounced constantly and employees needed to be paid. As the month came to a close with the company bank balance at zero, Christian Longo became so desperate that he began printing forged checks from companies that had left his invoices unpaid for the actual amounts that they owed him. This allowed Christian to delude himself into thinking he wasn't doing anything illegal. He deposited the fake checks into his business bank account without raising any suspicion among tellers. His account balance rose to $17,000 in the span of a couple of days. He continued forging checks through the next pay cycle without the company he was defrauding or the bank taking notice. In the weeks that followed, he took Mary Jane and the kids on a vacation on a lake in Michigan, where they cruised on their motorboat and two jet skis, which Longo had purchased from a less than scrupulous friend in addition to two forklifts and two cargo trailers. All of this equipment was later proven to be stolen. MJ was skeptical of the boat and the jet skis, but Christian allayed her fears by telling her that he won them in a raffle from Office Max. Hmm. Which... Can you win jet, jet skis in an Office Max? Oh, here, that's literally the whole point of this. Why the fuck would Office Max have jet skis? Is that a piece of right. office equipment to you? Mm, that's a good yeah yeah true mary jane somehow believed this but it was growing increasingly difficult to ignore their financial troubles by the end of their week-long vacation the longos could barely afford to fill the gas tank of the minivan feeling the pressure build christian stopped at a bank branch on the way home from the lake with his family in tow he tried to cash a counterfeit check he had stashed in his wallet but the teller grew suspicious Longo awkwardly fled the bank, forgetting both the check and his real driver's license. After a while, he returned to the bank to retrieve his ID. The teller summoned her supervisor, but Christian Longo fled the bank for a second time. He didn't mention anything to Mary Jane. So it's like you and I are driving home with three kids. I run into the bank. I leave the bank. We like hit the bank. And then I drive off while you're in the bank, while you're still in the bank. Wouldn't you? You would. You think that's funny? No, I'm just saying. It's. Oh no, I was confused. Oh, you're you're saying you're running off. Or well, I mean, in this scenario, you would be the one counterfeiting checks. So. Right. I guess I'm the one that I drive off and I leave you to be arrested. Right. Well, I think you know. Let's be. I mean, if we're going to be, not to be. Um, uh not to be pedantic but i think if anyone was going to forge checks it, it would be you just due to your um creative skills and your ability to use you know photoshop i think that um i would never need to do that harry because i know how to stick to a budget and i don't spend more than i make right so riddle me that neither do i i you know you used to. You, the only reason you don't is because I have that Excel spreadsheet and I go through our credit card statement every other day. Mm, don't need to, you don't, the audience doesn't know, particularly Terry. Dad, dad doesn't need to hear you. Oh, Terry might know. 
Terry might get weekly emails. Really? You've been telling dad about the spreadsheet days? He's good with managing money. And I wanted an opinion on what he thought. Terry, Terry, if you're you're listening to this, um, we're going to chat about this. Um, This is not the place to chat about, about the spreadsheet. You brought it up. Yeah, you brought it up. You brought it up. You said I would counterfeit checks, which I would literally never do. I would. Yeah, never. and then you're like, oh, spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. talk to Terry about the spreadsheets. No, I don't. Talk no, like I don't sound like that. I fucking hate your impression of me. First of all, just can you can you stop talking to people about the spreadsheets, please? Fine. That's yeah. Thank you. That's Fine. an in-family thing. He is my family. He's literally my father. But we're we're our own inner circle of family and terry dad dad you know i love you but you're you're outside of the you're on the next the next circle outside of the inner oh yeah i mean sometimes terry dad pops into the inner circle then he pops out but i think at the inner core this that's where the spreadsheets are and i don't think terry uh dad needs to know about that See, that's where you and I disagree. What, how could my parents possibly be on an outer circle? They're my parents. It's like, I'm not sending it to my aunt. I'm not sending it to my aunt or uncle. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, again. And are on our mortgage. Like, how can he, he needs to see. Yeah, but there are personal things that go into that spreadsheet, you know? What? Like, do you have a porn subscription? If you're paying for porn here, I'm going to be so fucking mad when it's for porn. No, because that's not on the spread, you know, but. Yeah. Because it's not on the, sp- so that you're hiding well, it. Well, look, it's not, it's not, it's, you would call it porn, but in my opinion, um, in my opinion, like my OnlyFans subscriptions. You subscribe to OnlyFans? They're, what I the would say they're not porn. They're there, it's some, no, it's like people supporting us. It's, we're just, I'm supporting creators. Oh my God. I can't even look at you. I don't even want to know what kind of sick shit you're looking at on there. And is that your hand up? Okay. And and that concludes no, episode it one. Conclude. No, it doesn't fucking conclude. My hand is up because I'm an outrage. I thought I did. Th- yeah, I did think that that was a strange place to conclude. But then you had your hand up. So I was like, wow, that must be. I mean, you're giving me mixed messages. At some point you say. Messages. Well, yeah. You say, you know, I'll, I'll throw my hand up. And then when I do that, oh, that's the end of episode one. And you're supposed to go. And then I do it. Driving home from the bank, he got pulled over, driving a stolen car, hitched to a stolen trailer, on which sat a stolen boat. Christian was arrested for fraud and for driving without a license. He was brought to jail and he admitted to the crimes. MJ was upset but understanding, allegedly. This is all according to Christian Longo. Police didn't realize the van was stolen, and because he didn't have any prior offenses, Christian was released. Unlike the affair, MJ agreed not to tell their friends, family, or church elders about this incident. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I if you, again, had ruined our finances and, and had all this stolen shit, I probably, I would agree to keep it between us. Right. And Terry. Yeah. Particularly because I, I'd probably just be doing that to you know to make you happy as well well don't pin this on me i would never want you to do crimes for me that's stupid uh, right yeah you would have wanted but 
yeah but you know if i see if i saw something you really liked and i couldn't pay for it um then i that would be why i would go out of my way i wouldn't do it for myself i think i think i would you know yeah but you're putting do you not hear yourself you're literally putting the blame on me it's just like she made me steal that yeah and i wouldn't do it so we it wouldn't come to that but if i did you know all right you're getting into oj territory and it's very fucking frightening let me just tell you that okay christian immediately downsized final touch from 60 employees to 12 and he sold some of his equipment to help with cash flow Mary Jane agreed to start keeping the company books. On September 21st, 2000, Longo was summoned to court and pled guilty to all charges, which were four counts of fraud. He didn't receive any jail time, but got community service, monthly meetings with a probation officer, and he was ordered to repay more than $30,000 to the company he had defrauded. A story about Christian Longo and his legal troubles appeared in the local paper, which forced him to tell the church elders what he had done. He was disfellowshipped, which basically means you're shunned by the entire church. His friends and family stopped talking to him, and his dad demanded his initial investment in Final Touch be repaid. The rest of the employees, who were all members of the church, quit the company. In October, Christian's car, the one he owned legally, was repossessed. He owed $16,000 in payments on it. His credit cards were maxed out at $30,000. Longo was behind on his court-ordered restitution payments, which were $980 a month. His father demanded $1,500 a month to recoup his investment. Final Touch employees were still owed $12,000 in back payments. And on top of all this, he still had mortgage and utility bills to pay, plus the costs of feeding his family. A few months later, in January 2001, he opened up a credit card in his father's name. He used it to pay for living expenses for his family, but he also still couldn't overcome his deeply rooted overspending. He bought Mm. scuba gear and certification lessons for himself. And he also paid for MJ to have LASIK eye surgery. After a month, this is crazy. After one month, he reached the $30,000 limit on his fraudulent credit card. So he opened a second credit card in his dad's name. The credit card company realized what was happening and reached out to Longo's parents who agreed to help bring charges against their own son. Between the credit cards and the final touch investment, Christian owed his parents more than $100,000. At this time, one of the last remaining final touch employees, a man named Amir Fazi, fell off a roof while cleaning windows and broke both of his ankles. Ooh. Chris Longo, of course, had left the payments on his workers' insurance lapse, so Fazi sued him. That was the last straw for final touch. Longo was also being sued by the local bank for bouncing thousands of dollars in checks and by other Final Touch employees for unpaid wages. He was hounded by collection agencies every day. His house was on the verge of foreclosure and his relationship with MJ was falling apart since she refused to have sex with him, which you know was just the most upsetting part of all of this to him. Christian Longo was overwhelmed and he was just 27 years old. See, Harry, things could be worse. You didn't get into financial ruin until your 30s. Well, I wouldn't say ruin, I'd say, you know. I'd say we're on a stable plan. And and this is where I have to say, you know, you know what? The the spreadsheet, the spread, the spreadsheet does help. Right. Uh, It does help us. And it has, um, I'll say it has saved our marriage. I just still don't, uh, I still don't know if we need to tell dad about it. 
that's the only thing um i uh, you know i don't mind if he knows but i don't i don't like the idea that every day is like oh or every week i should say it's like oh oh daddy have you seen have you seen how much harry's been spending on only fans well like uh, he doesn't need to know about that only fans is going you're you're fucking out of your mind if you don't think only fans is going on the spreadsheet retroactively but furthermore it's like I didn't know how to financially plan, which is what got us into this mess. I mean, it's your spend, mm-hmm. but I couldn't stop it because I didn't know because I didn't mm-hmm. go to school for finances. And it's like, I couldn't hire a financial planner because we we're already in fucking debt. So who did you ask? Who did you expect me to ask? My dad. My dad is a smart guy. He so, is, yeah. Yeah, so I don't really understand why you're so butthurt because without him, like you'd basically be Christian Longo. We don't have any kids. Luckily, if you did, you would probably drown them in a fucking river. Hey, that. Oh, I want you to. I hope you edit that out because. Nope, it stays. It stays in because you're a creep on OnlyFans. I'm not on OnlyFans to be a creep. I'm on it to support creators putting out content that I appreciate. Oh, what's the content here? Like, well, it's like, well, I don't, you know. For the videos you're watching. The video, uh, you're going to, yeah. Without a context of the videos by themselves, they're going to, they don't look good. Um, but, you know, it's not just OnlyFans. It's, it's my, you know, it's who I'm supporting on Patreon as well. But, you you know, you probably see, see those creators and say, oh, there's no problem. Nothing to see here. You know, Harry's just, you know, just chucking a couple of bucks to some people making some cool youtube videos christian longo decided the best thing for his family would be a fresh start in a new city even though his court mandated parole prohibited him from leaving the state longo did it anyway and moved his family to toledo ohio he sold his house in ypsilanti for hundred and five thousand nine hundred dollars and after paying off the remainder of his mortgage plus michigan sales tax he netted eight thousand two hundred fifty nine dollars and eighteen cents This was all the money he had to his name. Christian had trouble finding an apartment to rent in Toledo since his credit was ruined. So instead, he rented a dilapidated warehouse in an industrial neighborhood in Toledo for $16.50 a month. He lied to the landlord and said it was for a business venture. The landlord asked him to pay the entire year's rent up front, but Christian convinced her to only accept a one-month deposit. He then turned to MJ and promptly lied, telling her that he had paid for the warehouse for the year. He's got a plan, at least. Not a good one, but he does have a plan. He doesn't have a plan. That's. Or I feel like you're not even listening. Oh, okay. The warehouse was never meant to be lived in. It didn't have a kitchen or plumbing, so the family lived in a hotel for five weeks while Christian renovated. The family moved into the warehouse on June 21st, 2001. They didn't tell anyone their street address since it was illegal for them to live there. According to Christian, MJ kept a good attitude at this time, but she didn't know that they were beyond broke. Chris Longo didn't even have money for food, so he resorted to old habits. He printed more counterfeit checks and cashed them for $9,000. Ooh. Okay. So that's, that's a problem. We don't have to worry about not having enough money for food, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you could do with a little less ordering takeout if I'm being completely transparent, but Yes, we definitely can at least right. afford. I mean, can't afford the grocery store that I would like to shop at. Like, I, if I could, I would like to shop at Whole Foods well. exclusively. Um, you know, 
when we're still kind of at a stop and shop level, but right. Maybe if you stopped ordering takeout like twice a month, we could kind of level up our grocery game a little bit. We could, but you know, it could be. It's also, I think, yeah. No, that's. I think that's a fair point. I could definitely. Um, also making you. you know, I think, and I think it's good you add the fast food to take out to the spreadsheet. I think that that is spreadsheet worthy. Um, Wait, no, I add everything to the spreadsheet. Do I? Do you? Do you add the, your Whole Foods expenses to the spreadsheet? I don't have Whole Foods expenses. What are you talking about? Well, sometimes you go there. I know that. Like barely. Didn't think I knew that, did you? Like one, you're so fucking smug right now. No, like I go once every six months. No, it doesn't go on the spreadsheet. But the spreadsheet's not for me. It's for you. We're in this together when it comes to the spreadsheet. Well, you're hiding expenses like a secret porn addiction from me, so. Uh, there we go again. The family had been living in the warehouse for six weeks when MJ's younger sister, Sally, and her husband came to visit. They found the Longo family by driving through downtown Toledo until they spotted MJ's dog and the witness wagon. Realizing the conditions in which MJ and her children were living deeply upset Sally and she tried to confront Christian about it. After MJ's family visited, Chris Longo tried to sell off his remaining equipment, a cargo trailer and a, and a forklift. A potential buyer came to the warehouse to inspect the gear but suspected it was stolen and alerted the police. The police staked out the warehouse and seized the stolen assets. Longo managed to avoid being arrested, but quickly fled Toledo on August 30th, 2001, after living there for less than three months. He rented a moving truck and filled it with final touch equipment and personal items. Christian put Zachary and their dog Kira, a husky, in the cab of the truck with him. Mary Jane followed him with Madison and Sadie in the minivan. He had $1,502 left from the counterfeit checks he had cashed. Christian Longo drove through the night on back roads through Indiana before stopping at a Best Western. He and the family continued driving, not stopping until they reached Portland, Oregon. Meanwhile, MJ's sister Sally returned to Toledo a few weeks later with her mother in tow, only to find the warehouse abandoned. The landlord said Christian had failed to pay the rent. MJ's family tried to call her on her cell phone, but she never answered. When they failed to hear from her after several days, they filed a missing persons report on September 17, 2001. Christian Longo said that during the family's drive from Ohio to Oregon, they camped most nights, pitching a tent in a state park or a campground. This, of course, was the cheapest option. They dined exclusively on fast food, and Longo claimed the family was enjoying the road trip, treating it almost like a vacation. They were almost apprehended in South Dakota when Christian pulled the moving truck over at a way station, and a state trooper asked to see his license. The officer ran it through his computer and questioned Longo. Somehow the fact that he had skipped out on parole and his meetings with his parole officer and like um, is all his failed payments, like none of that was in the system, I guess. So even though he was suspicious, the officer eventually let him go. Christian Longo rented a storage unit in Sioux Falls, South Dakota under a fake name, and he unloaded everything in the rental truck into it. He then abandoned the truck and the dog, which he let loose on a farm and fled South Dakota with his family in the witness wagon. The family stopped at Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone National Park, visiting tourist spots and going hiking, which I think just proves how fucking delusional this guy is because it's like he's literally on the run and he's like, no, no, the family's having fun. It's like we're on a vacation, just kind of an attitude I honestly could see you having. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I always try to live life to the fullest. So uh, 
you know, in this, I'm not, I wouldn't do what Christian did, but um, I don't just, uh, even when things are bad, I don't just complain, you know, call Terry about it. No, you're delusional and you just bury your head in the sand and things, and you'll just think that things magically get better on their own instead of asking for help from people who know better. I, th- I really think you don't understand my manifesting practice. No, I absolutely don't. Please tell me more. Is this something that you're learning on OnlyFans? You know what? Like if we're gonna if we're gonna be asking for Patreons, I think it's only fair that we we also support other creators. And so if if anything, think of the OnlyFans as brand research. Okay, Harry, fine. I'm gonna start making porn and selling it on our Patreon. How does that make you feel? Oh wait, you probably don't even fucking care. Wow. I know you're being sarcastic, but Maybe I have a secret. If, if that's what you wanted to do, I would support you. Of course you would, because you have no fucking backbone and you never stand up for anything. Hey, I'll, you know what? I'll stand up for these creators that you're bad-mouthing. Wow. That's what we'll stand up for. Wow. I'm speechless. You've left me speechless. Congratulations. On September 9th, 2001, one week after fleeing the warehouse in Toledo, the Longo family arrived in Portland, Oregon. MJ and Christian liked Portland, but found the rental prices too high for their meager budget. Before leaving the city, they pawned Mary Jane's beloved diamond ring for only $600. The family drove to Seattle, but found that city even more expensive than Portland. So they turned around and drove down the Oregon coast. Spending a lot of money on petrol. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. I mean, maybe they could afford to live in Oregon. Had they not just been, you know, going on joy rides everywhere. For once, you and I are actually agreed. They rented a furnished two-bedroom bungalow in Wildport, Oregon for $800 a month. Christian managed to convince the property managers to let him pay by the week. Christian searched for a job, but found that the only one he qualified for was as a Starbucks barista inside a Fred Meyer grocery store. He was hired part-time for $7.40 an hour on September 24th, 2001. Look, that's 2001. That's a long time ago. I mean, today's money. That's probably like $30 an hour or something. No, no, that's definitely not $30 an hour. There are people today who still make $7.40. What? Yeah. Harry, read a newspaper. Wow. And I thought I was underpaid, but I've got it pretty good, actually. You're doing really well. You are underpaid. There are just people who are even poorer than you are in this country. Poorer than we are. We're in this together, okay? You are. Christian felt that this job was very far beneath him and began lying to employees, telling his coworkers that his family was very wealthy and that he only took the job to get out of the house and for the free coffee. He wore a suit and tie to work and carried a pager, saying he used it to keep tabs on his stock holdings. He tried desperately to impress his coworkers, but in reality, the barista job was not keeping the Longo family afloat. Christian began pawning items from their rental house, but those rarely fetched more than a few dollars. Unable to make the rent, the Longos left Walport after living there for three weeks. They relocated to Newport, staying in various cheap motels, the five of them crammed into a single $20 a night room. The family stayed at the Newport Motor Inn for most of November, while Christian continued working at Fred Meyer. Their budget for food was less than $5 a day, and they ate mostly ramen noodles and bread. Again, I feel like this is just your fucking like, ideal vacation. Yeah, I mean, the 20... I mean, if the room's okay, I mean... If... That's I mean, even if the room's total shit, $20 a night is... That's the whole point. Of course, great. It's, it's, of course, it's shit. 
But even if it is shit, that that's such good. Just um, you know, just a shelter for twenty dollars a night is is good. See, this Sorry, is- I don't have expensive tastes. Well, you, you know, I don't, I don't want to sleep on a you know a pillow of of you know millet from Whole Foods like some people. Well, this is your whole problem. You can, you have such trouble spending money on nice things that you would rather just parcel out money on lots of little shitty things, and it ends up being the same amount without the nice experience, though. That's your whole problem. According to Christian Longo, Mary Jane and the children were fine with their transitory lifestyle, although court-appointed psychologists had serious doubts about this. God, I feel like I'm reading a biography of you, Harry. That's, that's what you would say. You would have me drive around this country staying in shitty motels, living off of bread, and you would say that I was fine with it. Well, and then, uh, and then I would put your body in a suitcase. Come on. Yeah, of course. you. I think you would. People we know are listening to this. Come throw those accusations around sudden accusations. i think if in a dream scenario like in an alternate universe i could absolutely see you putting my body in a suitcase you're fucking way too lazy to dig a grave no i you hate physical wouldn't. activity yeah i Come can't eat to exercise well you know on bike you never use it i it's broken that's why yeah. but it's broken and um you know and, and for one i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, you know i wouldn't waste a suitcase if i was that poor as well and I'm not that poor, so it's not, it wouldn't happen. You don't need a suitcase because we never go anywhere. Christian claimed that what upset MJ the most during this period was not joining a new Jehovah's Witness congregation. There was a church in Newport, but Longo refused to go because all of his and Mary Jane's nicer clothes were in the storage unit in Sioux Falls. And Christian couldn't stand the thought of being judged for poor attire by church elders. See, now Christian is starting to remind me of you, if I'm being honest. Oh like, yeah, because he cares about his appearance. He doesn't want to be well, yeah. spouse looking like shit all the time. Yeah. It's like, oh, if we're going to go to Starbucks, I better get dolled up. It's like, no, we're just going to Starbucks. Like, it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. You don't need to spend half an hour in front of the man in the world the mirror who's doing your makeup, you know? Look nice when we go out. Do you realize that? But it's... T- Who's it for though? We're just at Starbucks. Like. For me, it's for you. It would be for you if you cared. So it's just for me. Mm. For anyone who has to look upon me and my face and my body. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you just yeah, anyway. All of the family's winter clothes were also in the storage unit, and winter was fast approaching on the Oregon coast. So using frequent flyer miles accrued during his newspaper distribution days, Christian flew to Sioux Falls, retrieving as much of the family's clothing as he could fit into his suitcase and flew back to Portland. While in South Dakota, Christian Longo mailed two postcards written by Mary Jane, one to her sister Sally and the other to her mother, both Mm -hmm. postmarked November 5th, 2001. This was the first time they'd heard from MJ in nearly two months since they'd reported her missing. The cards were written in Mary Jane's handwriting, but she kept the correspondence vague, not enclosing an address or telephone number where she could be reached. In late November, 2001, Chris was promoted to a full-time position at Fred Meyer and received a slightly higher salary. He immediately moved his family into a nicer two-bedroom convo on a waterfront section of Newport, which cost $1,200 a month. Christian was still scheming on how to land an even better, higher-paying position, but he knew he could never pass a background check. He was still wanted by police in Michigan and Ohio. Using a book called The Modern Identity Changer, he went to the library and looked up obituaries to find men who were around his age and came up with four. He then checked death records to find their social security numbers. He assembled a wealth of personal information for a deceased man named Alan Ray Swander, 
but never fully assumed the false identity. From the outside looking in, it appeared that the Lonkos had finally found stability. However, Christian was acutely aware that they actually couldn't afford the condo. Between the rent payment and day-to-day living expenses like groceries, diapers, and shampoo, his paychecks evaporated and there never seemed to be enough. He approached the manager of the condominium and asked for a couple days of leniency for the approaching rent payment. The manager acquiesced, albeit reluctantly. Christian Longo received his next paycheck from Fred Meyer on December 14th. It totaled $170, all of which he knew needed to go to the rent. However, he couldn't resist doing some shopping and taking MJ out on a date that Saturday night. Wow, even Christian Longo takes his wife out on date nights occasionally. He called Denise Thompson to babysit the kids. He and Mary Jane went to a brew pub for dinner, and MJ confessed how relieved she was that their situation had finally turned around. Christian, bearing the knowledge that the family was a few days away from being evicted, and that their most valuable possession, the witness wagon, was stolen, said nothing and shared in her happiness. After dinner, the couple went to a movie theater, saw Ocean's Eleven, and were back home by 10.30 p.m. Christian went to work the next day and pondered his situation on the drive home. It was the last day before rent was due, and he had just spent his entire paycheck. The landlord was unlikely to give them another week's extension. He didn't want to return to a transient lifestyle. Longo laid in bed that night, unable to sleep. MJ asked him what was wrong, and all of a sudden, the floodgates burst open. Christian Longo finally admitted to his wife that he hadn't been paying the rent and that they were almost certainly going to be evicted. He told her about the two fraudulent credit cards set up in his dad's name, about the stolen moving truck he left in Sioux Falls, about the stolen boat, jet skis, and cargo trailers, about how much their house in Ypsilanti had actually sold for, about all the forged checks he'd cashed, even though he promised her he would stop. He admitted that her beloved minivan, given to her as a seven-year wedding anniversary gift, was also stolen. He finally admitted that they didn't own anything. I was going to say, was there's anything they have not stolen, you know? No. Nope, they don't have two dimes to rub together. Mm. Mary Jane, understandably, is enraged, realizing her husband had lied to her continually throughout their entire marriage about how bad things really were. I know how you feel, Mary Jane. By early 2003, Christian Longo's trial had begun. He was charged with four counts of murder. He pled not guilty to the murders of Zachary and Sadie, but guilty to the murders of Mary Jane and Madison. During the trial, the Longo's former babysitter, Denise Thompson, testified that when she had lunch with Chris on the same day that Zachary's body had been found, he told her that MJ had left him for a successful CNN reporter named Ron Gibson. He said that MJ's affair was years long and that his kids called the man Uncle Ronnie. Longo didn't seem very upset and openly suspected that Madison was Gibson's child. Unsurprisingly, a simple fact check revealed that no such man had ever been employed by CNN and Ron Gibson was yet another one of Christian Longo's bizarre lies. Christian Longo's upstairs neighbors at the condo in Newport also testified at trial. The elderly couple said on the day the prosecution stated the murders took place, they were awoken in the middle of the night by loud noises coming from the Longo family's unit. They said it sounded like someone was moving furniture around and the noise lasted for about 10 minutes. Prosecution presented for seven days and then rested. Most evidence was circumstantial and they speculated on Christian Longo's possible motives. The defense only called one witness to the stand, Christian Longo himself. He recited his life story almost word for word as it had appeared in letters he sent to Michael Finkel. After months of correspondence, Finkel realized that Longo had been using him to rehearse his testimony 
and had implored Finkel to ask questions and poke holes in the story so Longo could revise it before reciting it in front of a jury. On the stand, Christian Longo claimed that the morning after he came clean to MJ, she gave him the silent treatment for the entire day, which was December 17th. She drove him to work in the morning without saying a word and returned to pick him up at 11 p.m. According to him, when they arrived back at the condo, she curled into a ball on the floor and cried, unable to speak. Chris was confused and realized he didn't see the children anywhere. He searched the condo and found Madison unresponsive lying on the master bed. Longo, in a fit of rage, began slamming MJ's head against a wall and strangled her until she died. He said Madison was still breathing, but it was so faint that he decided to strangle her. He stuffed both bodies into individual suitcases and threw them into the bay that their condo overlooked. He claimed not to know anything about Zachary and Sadie until his return from Mexico. And essentially, his theory is that MJ killed all three children to punish him. Christian Longo sat on the witness stand for four straight days telling the whole long, drawn-out story. As soon as he finished, the prosecutor grilled him on the timeline. The prosecutor said that on the day he realized Zachary and Sadie were missing, Christian didn't phone the police. He didn't phone anyone or ask anyone for help. Instead, on that day, Christian drove to Starbucks and got a coffee. He rented Blow on DVD but never watched it. He went to the gym and worked out. He picked up his final paycheck from Fred Meyer and drove to San Francisco. He had disposed of MJ and Madison and made no efforts to find Zachary or Sadie. He boarded a plane to Cancun, pretended to be Michael Finkel, partied for a couple weeks, and got a girlfriend. Christian Longo confirmed that this was all true. The prosecution rested. On April 3rd, 2003, both the defense and the prosecution made their final arguments. The jury found Christian Longo guilty on all four counts of murder and sentenced him to death. The real Michael Finkel had sat in the courtroom for the entirety of the trial and having watched Longo testify was furious. Finkel had no doubt that Longo was guilty and had murdered his entire family. Michael Finkel was upset that Longo had lied to him repeatedly throughout their correspondence and was sickened by how he tried to pin the murders on Mary Jane. Christian Longo was hauled off to jail and Michael Finkel returned home to Bozeman, Montana. Although he was relieved that their weird friendship had come to an end, Finkel couldn't stop thinking about Longo. He wrote him a very long, angry letter, telling Chris that he was glad he received the death sentence. Michael Finkel obviously didn't expect a response, but eventually received one. And in episode two, we will learn what that response was. No, we're just going to finish That's... the episode. No, no, no. We're just, oh, okay. There's literally a paragraph left. Harry, we're at the end. We're already at the end. Oh, that seemed like uh, good. That I thought I'd got that one right. Like I thought that was good. No. Where would we go from here? It's over. He's been convicted. In his letter to Michael Finkel, Chris Longo admitted that he lied on the stand and that he was, in fact, guilty of murdering his entire family. He said it happened pretty much the way he told it in his testimony. He had confessed to MJ and they were upset with one another. He killed her first and then he killed Madison. He put them in suitcases and tossed them into the bay. He put Zachary and Sadie into the van where they fell asleep. He drove a few miles down the coast and tied the rock-laden pillowcases to their ankles. He picked up Zachary, who was still asleep, and threw him over the south side of the bridge over Lint Slow. He reached for Sadie, who was awake, and threw her into the water too. Although he was sentenced to death, Oregon put a moratorium on executions in 2011, so Christian Longo is still alive, on death row, at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, Oregon. I guess the moral of the story is don't steal. 
Stick to a budget. Or kill and stick to a budget. Yeah. If you enjoyed the telling of this horrible tale starring Christian Longo, please give us five star review on iTunes. Um, please share it with your friends. We do have a Patreon. Um, and you know, we have merch and we're trying to work out what the um the other levels of the of the patron would be, but um just check it out and there's a lot of good stuff for you on there. We're gonna be coming out with some bonus content, maybe some interviews. Um, mm -hmm. I might reveal what OnlyFans accounts Harry's subscribing to. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, please just Google it. Deadly Ever After podcast, you'll find it. Yeah. And, you know, and guys, you might, I'm hoping <laughs> to convince uh, Liz to, um, you know, to. When you call me Liz. To, yeah, to, to add, uh, to add a, a real personalized a couple of tiers to pay, um, Patreon. Um, and so if that, if that does, um, yeah, if that does happen, then, um, you know, you'll, um, yeah, there'll be a couple of really um, kind of worth it tiers for you to um, support uh, there. Because so far, uh, it's just kind of merch and, um, you know, supporting the show, which is great. But, uh, you know, once, uh, uh, you know, once, Liz once Elizabeth is up for it, um, you know, we'll get those um, kind of personalized greetings and things like that on there, which I think would be good. But uh, as long as, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that, Elizabeth. Please, if there's something you would like to see as a perk, um, if you could just drop drop us a line, you can mention it in your iTunes review because Harry and I are kind of having trouble um, being aligned on what, like what the perks should be. So it would really just be helpful to hear from you because I don't think any of you have any interest in personalized greetings. I think your interest more lies in like, stickers and t-shirts and coffee mugs and that kind of thing um but as you know harry doesn't fucking listen to me so if you guys could you know tell us what you want and if you actually really do want these creepy videos um then i guess harry will make them for you well i i'm not making any creepy videos but i would make tasteful erotica <laughs> <laughs>